Good morning. We're glad you're here to worship with us this morning at Broadway. Let's stand together as we begin our time.
sing together. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. We are certainly glad that you're with us this morning here at Broadway Baptist. Uh, we want to welcome you to our worship time together. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We're honored that you would spend your uh, Sunday morning with us. If you're new here, if you're maybe this is your first time or your first time in a while, uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. We hope you got a bulletin on your way in. On the edge of that, there's a little perforated section. That's our Connect card. Uh, if you would just fill that out, and you can drop it either in the offering plate here in just a second uh, or at the Welcome Center uh, located at the back of our sanctuary. Again, that's just our way of getting to know you a little bit better uh, and learning how we can connect with you here at Broadway. Um, we are glad that you're with us this morning. We hope that you're paying attention to all the announcements in your bulletins and on the screens as you come in. Uh, we're going to continue to worship in just a second, and as part of that, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to give this morning through our tithes and our offerings. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and ask our ushers to come down. We're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to pass a, a, a plate through the, through the aisles, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to give that way. We also want to remind you about our text to give opportunities and our, uh, the ability that you have to give online if you would prefer to do that. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll continue to worship together. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to come and to glorify your name and exalt you. Lord, we pray uh, that you're the only one that's with the tie this morning, uh, that you uh, are front and center. God, we love you. We thank you most of all for Jesus, uh, God, and the gift that you give him through, uh, the gift that you give us of salvation through him. And so, God, this morning, uh, we want to repay that just in a, in a small way, God, and in, in by uh, our tithes and our offerings, Lord, and giving just a portion of, of what you have blessed us with. Lord, we pray that you would take our gifts and that you would bless uh, our church, bless our mission, uh, Lord, and that we would continue to exalt you and proclaim you. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. From the darkness, I called your name. To darkness, mercy came. You called me out, lifted me up. How great is your love! You know my weakness, my shame. 
Stand and join us. From the heights of heaven, you stepped down to earth. In a sin perfection, you gave your life for us, and we are amazed. Yes, we stand in awe, for we have been changed by the power of the cross. How great! How great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love for us. In your kindness, you lead me Because of his great love, we can stand justified before him through the grace of Christ. Let's continue to sing together this morning as we lift his praises. There's never been, there will never be a God like you, love so true. There's never been, there will never be. God like you, the love so true, there has never been, there will never be, a God like you, the love so true, there has never been, there will never be.
How great, how great is your love for us. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to
Jesus Christ, my living hope. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you give us through Jesus. God, the hope of eternal life, the hope of freedom in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had this morning, uh, that we've been able to gather and praise your name and exalt you. God, we pray that you're honored. In Jesus' precious name that we pray. Americas is a diverse place. Here you can find jungle villages, rustic towns, beautiful beaches, gated communities, and global cities. Tribal people live in hard to reach places, but many are moving to live in the cities where there are more opportunities. Even though American peoples are hard workers, many earn little money and live in poverty. It's common to find multiple generations living together and depending on each other for survival. Here, most people are family-oriented, and relatives take time to help and listen to each other. For some families that are wealthy, guards, gates, exclusive clubs, and high-pressure jobs often keep them from hearing the gospel. Catholicism is a major religion, though it's often mixed with animistic beliefs. Even with their rich heritage of missions, the Americas are home to more than 550 million people living without Jesus. For every healthy church, a dozen more preach bad theology, depend on foreigners, and are not involved in any kind of mission work. It's often challenging to reach American peoples with the truth of the gospel. There are more than 300 unreached people groups, tribes in remote locations, gated communities, limited access to people, an abundance of adultery and alcoholism, an emphasis on the prosperity gospel and cultural Christianity. By taking on these physical and spiritual barriers, we can engage the American peoples with the gospel. We develop strategic partners, make disciples, form leaders, empower churches, promote church health, and mobilize Latino missionaries. Come join us to equip the church and to proclaim the good news to the American peoples and beyond. That is a video there from our IMB mission board. It reminds us in Latin and uh, Central and uh, South America, there's a great need for the gospel. Half a billion people still not know Jesus there, so that... Uh, I one time heard a little girl describe the difference between clergy and laity. Clergy are people who are paid to be good, and laity are people who are good for nothing. So we're going to talk about this morning what it means to be good for nothing. This is a message here. We are in our Summer Jump sermon series. We're jumping into different themes, and today we're talking about righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be good? And the Bible's very clear about that. So if you have your Bible, always want to bring your Bible to church. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, it's going to be actually the entire chapter, which is of the 21 verses there. What's going on here in Genesis chapter 15 is uh, this is about Abraham. This is the first place in the Bible where we see God declaring that Abraham is righteous. We're seeing God declare that where he looks at someone who believes him and says, Abraham, because you've believed, you are now righteous. So we're going to look at what does it mean for God to declare you as righteous. When you get to the New Testament, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4 through the righteousness of Jesus. When we are saved, that is what it means to be declared righteous 
to God. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Some background information and what's going on here with Abraham. God called Abraham from this land called the Ur of Chaldeans. That's in current day Iraq, Iran, there in the Euphrates River. And he called him to be a great nation. Abraham was just a nomadic man who had a wife named Sarai, who God renamed Sarah. And they were just living out there. And God called him and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham and Sarah had no children. And says, you're going to be a great nation. In fact, you're going to be a nation that's so great that you're not even going to be able to count. It's like the stars in the sky. You won't even be able to count your descendants. And then I'm going to give you this land, a promised land. And what happened is he called Abraham, and Abraham brought his dad, Terah, and he brought his nephew, Lot, and they traveled up the Euphrates River all the way up to Syria, where current Syria, Turkey is, and a place called Haran. And then they came down, down by the Jordan River, down there through Israel, about a 2,000-mile journey. It took several years, and they got to the land of Canaan, which the land of Canaan is what was called because of the Canaanites, who were people who did not worship the Lord. They lived there. God called that area the Promised Land. Then we see later on the scripture that land was renamed Israel. And that's what we call Israel today. So that's this promise that we see. Now what's going on here in Genesis chapter 15, where we're about to read this scripture from. God at this point has made these promises to Abraham. Abraham, while he was in Canaan, he had to run down to Egypt and he fled Egypt and came back to Canaan. Then he had a little battle where his 300 men won a battle. So he's been doing whatever folks do there in the land, you know, defeating some of the people. He met um, a priest named, a high priest named Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed him. Abraham gave the first tithe ever referred to in Scripture. But when we get here to Genesis chapter 15, something is about to happen that has never occurred before. And that's what we want to pick up here in your Bible. So look here in your Bibles, Genesis 15. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be great. Now, what he's talking about here, Abraham had a fight with a group, and he beat them. But in Bible times, as well as today, when you lose, that doesn't mean it's over. So that Abraham knew, okay, we're not a great, mighty army. These folks are going to come back for me. So that's why he said, I am your shield. Your reward will be great. Abraham met this king called the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom there was trying to give Abraham a, a big gift, a reward. But Abraham says, no, I don't want to take it. I'll give you a tithe. And he, he declined the reward. So God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm your shield. And you're going to get a reward from me. You don't, don't worry about the stuff you turned down. And don't worry about these armies that are, you are afraid that are going to come back and attack you. You trust in me. But Abraham said in verse 2, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. Abraham had no child. So he, all these years he'd been thinking, how am I going to be a great nation? I have, I have no children. In fact, if Abraham and Sarah died, the way it worked is they had a slave named Eliza of Damascus. He would, re he would receive their inheritance. Abraham continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Now, God is bringing him outside. He's looking at these, and he's heard this before. This is the same thing from Genesis 12. He says, Abraham, God's going, I'm going to do something great. You're going to be blessed. But Abraham's not really seeing it. He's looking around thinking, I keep hearing about how blessed my, and awesome my life's going to be, but all I see is this little, little dinky family, and, you know, there's maybe a slave or two, and we got Lot, and he's a little wild, and my dad died. So what, God, where is it? I don't see this great blessing you keep promising and talking about. And you, he's pointing them out all these stars in the sky, but they're still not the people. Now look at verse 6. Here is what Abraham did. Abraham believed 
the Lord. And he, meaning God, credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. God is speaking to Abraham and making promises to Abraham, but there's nothing there. Even though he didn't see the promise, he believed God. And because of his belief, therefore God gave him the credit as a righteous man. That is the first place in Scripture that we see God declaring, God crediting, God making someone righteous. Verse 7, he also said to him, verse 7, it says, I'm the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Abraham said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? Like, at this point, Abraham didn't own any land. He had no family. He's just asking these genuine questions. He believes God, but he still wants answers. He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down to the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abraham, and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years. So now God's going to give him a picture of the future that Abraham doesn't even comprehend at this point. This is the year's that the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt, is what he's talking about. They're going to be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that did not belong to them. And I will enslave, and, and they will be oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. At this point, Abraham's 85 years old when God's speaking to him. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between and divided the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kezites, Tamanites, Hethites, Prezites, Raphim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. All these were the different people groups here. A couple of things happened. God made this promise to Abraham that he would have the land from the brook of Egypt. Where's the brook of Egypt? That's a little stream. That's actually the dividing line right now from the Gaza Strip in Israel with, with Egypt. It's still there. All the way to the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River runs through Iraq and it's there and just cuts in the middle of the desert. So if you look at a map, that's like 2,000 miles, a giant desert for the most part, from the brook of Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. God said, this is what I'm calling the promised land. That Abraham, that you and your descendants, it will be yours. Now, if you look in a map today, Israel doesn't reach all the way to the Euphrates River. It does have the brook of Egypt, but it stops there at the Jordan River. It doesn't go all the way to the Euphrates River. So there's still some land that Israel still is entitled to based on Scripture. Something else is used here in verse 18. If you look in your Bible, verse 18, it says, The day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram. A covenant. Say, so what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise from God. It's a commitment. Covenants do not just last a lifetime. They last forever. Book of Malachi describes marriage as a covenant. That's why marriages last forever. They should last forever because God established marriage as a covenant. The first covenant in the Bible, this is the second. There's actually eight covenants in Scripture. The first covenant in the Bible was with Noah. When they came, when the eight people were saved on the ark with the animals, they came out, and obviously the waters had come down, and God put a bow in the sky, a rainbow. And God 
told Noah and his family, he says, you see this rainbow, this bow in the sky? This bow will be a reminder that I will never again flood the earth. And the Bible says that God put the bow there so that he will be reminded, meaning the Lord will be reminded that every time he sees the rainbow, he will never again flood the earth and kill everyone. So that is the rainbow is actually the first covenant in the Bible. The second covenant we see here is in Genesis 15. God is making a promise with Abraham. He just declared him as righteous. And he says, he says, Abraham, if you see all this land, you and your descendants, it will be yours. That is a promise God is making. And what's powerful about this for us and how this, this influences us is that going back to verse 6, he asked the question, the Lord credited him as righteousness, as righteous. When we hear about righteousness, many times we start thinking of righteous acts, doing something, works. What can I do to please God? What can I do to be a good Christian? What can I do to... Uh, make the right decision. The problem with that type of thinking, that is not what happened here. If you look at verse 6, God is making these promises to Abraham. But Abraham, he's been hearing this for decades now. He's 85 years old. And we know that because the next chapter, it says he was 86. And he had... This is probably, he's 85 years old, a year before that. God's speaking to him. He's making these great promises to him, but he's not seeing it occur. But Abraham believed God. He believed the Lord. And God saw that belief, and he says, you're going to be righteous. You know, it's not our righteous acts, it's but our faith that is credited to our account as righteousness. We, what we're seeing in this passage here, and if you trace what, what it means to be righteous all the way through the Bible, when we have faith, faith is believing something that we do not see. It's trusting the Lord. So what happens here is our faith in Jesus Christ is what makes us righteous. We believe what Jesus has told us. You might say, Daniel, are you suggesting that I can act as sinful as I want? But if we believe God, we're counted as righteous anyway. As long as I just believe God, I'm going to be counted as righteous. The problem with that, you know, I can act any way possible. No. If you, if you believe God and you continue in sin, that is ultimately impossible to do. Because part of believing God is not only are you believing Him, also you're, you're saying, God, I'm going to obey what you have told me to do. I'm going to listen to your instruction. Your word is written on my heart. I'm going to live a life that's overflowing for the Lord. So we want to we have a type of faith. We want to have a type of belief that God credits us as righteous. Pull out your bulletin insert here. Here at the bottom, Abraham is the first person God declared as righteous. We're seeing literally the beginning of the doctrine of salvation occur. And it says here in verse 6, Abraham believed God. That's what he did. He didn't believe in God. There's, that's the difference. He believed God. Do you know the Bible says in James 2.19, it says that demons believe in God and they shudder. Follow what I'm saying. There's a difference from believing in God and believing God. The devil believes in God. Just because you go out here in Lexington and you, you, you talk to somebody and say, oh, I believe in God. Well, that doesn't mean they're saved. That doesn't mean they know the Lord. That doesn't mean they're, they've been born again by Jesus. Even here we see devils, demons believe in God. And that's good. But they're still lost. They're demons. They acknowledge God exists. Abraham 
believed God. Meaning, even though, God, everything you're saying, I'm not seeing it whatsoever. I'm not seeing any of these blessings you're talking about. All these years I've been living for you. I've been following you. I've been obeying you. But I'm not seeing any of my children. Because I, we have no children. I'm not seeing this great nation. I'm just a little nomadic tribe wandering around. In fact, I'm scared. That's why I know that group that you helped me beat, they're coming back from two chapters earlier. So we see that fear with Abraham, but he believes the Lord. That's verse 6. Not only that, Abraham trusted God. If you look at verse 7 here, look what happened in verse 7. He also says, I am the Lord, God said, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. God has brought Abraham for decades ago from this milded desert and brought him all the way over to Israel. Abraham has been trusting in the Lord the entire time. Could you imagine just packing up, saying, God, I'm going to just stop what I'm doing and completely changing careers, changing my life, changing all of what I've known. Do you know if God were to call you, if God blesses you and he calls you to the mission field, do you know really being a missionary, leaving America and saying, I'm going to go to South America, this video here, among all these tribes that speak a different language, that have a completely different culture, and I'm going to live among them, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. That's very similar to what Abraham's doing. He left all that was familiar with him, and he's just following the Lord. Familiarity, the problem with familiarity is it prevents us from trusting in God. Trusting in God means things are going to be different. God's going to do something new. Abraham here in verse 7, he's trusted God. But think about belief and trust. Knowing that, Abraham's still a man and he still has questions. Abraham questioned God. In verse 8, he asked the question, But Lord, how can I know that I'll possess it? God, how do I know I'm going to possess this land? Well, how can you reassure me that this is going to occur in my, life's, my lifetime? You know, there's two types of righteousness. There's righteousness that we accomplish with our own efforts. For the most part, that's what we think of. That's how we judge other people. We look at people and we think, let's see if they're good. How do they behave? And we judge them. You know, this past week, all of Lexington shot fireworks wherever you were at. I mean, anywhere you went, you heard fireworks at all hours of the night. And, and for some of us, I'm sure you're in bed and you're thinking, why do we have to shoot fireworks at midnight when it's dark at 945? Why don't we shoot them at 945? So we can wake the whole neighborhood up at midnight. I'm sure some of you have thought this. Because at midnight, all in our neighborhood, fireworks are going off. So that's a judgment you make. You judge people saying, they should have done this two, two hours and 15 minutes ago. Now we're just going to keep everybody and the animals all awake. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we evaluate righteousness. Our own efforts. Now, that's not how God evaluates us, though, in our belief and how he credits us. How God evaluates us is from the Lord. Righteousness is accounted to us by the work of God when we believe. Look at this right here. When you believe, we not believe in, but when you believe God, what does he do? He accounts you the work. You've Believe the Lord. Said, Lord, I believe you. And he credits you or he accounts you as righteous. And think about our church. You know, this service, this is only like the what sixth time we've had the 1109 service. Maybe fifth. Yeah, fifth time we've only had this service. In many ways, this service is us believing in the Lord. We're trusting, says, Lord, I believe you're going to bless our church through a second worship service, through a work, worship service that is geared towards maybe a new generation, somebody who's maybe not familiar or used to church, has a different feel to it. 
God's, God sees that and says, I'm going to credit them righteous. I'm going to honor them by stepping out and believing believing the Lord. Not believing in the Lord, but believing the Lord. A lot of us stop here. This is what happens. We know what God wants us to do, and we acknowledge the Bible is true, and we come to worship in Sunday school, and we come to all the different activities, but we do not step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'll leave the land of Ur of Chaldeans, and I'm just going to follow you. God, if you said I'm my... I'm going to have, be a father of a great nation, I, although I have no children. I'm sure I, I just believe you, Lord. It doesn't make sense now, but I trust in you. This is what God is calling us to do. This is what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things we see here also is that we want to say, what does it look like for us in 2019 to believe in God? How do we be, or believe God? Because I think for the most part, uh, there seems to be so little of this type of belief. Uh, we, we, everything is plan, scripted, we know the ending, and, and there's, not a part, there's not a place always for the Lord in there. And you think about your life. Maybe some of you have family members that are not in church this morning. In fact, they're very far from God. You're praying for them. You want to see them saved. You don't want to see them in hell, as the Bible says, that people who do not know Jesus go to without trusting in Him. You do not want to see your family members die apart from Christ. And you're praying, but you're not seeing the answer. Or maybe you have a major medical condition. You're sick, and really nobody, but you and your doctor really know it, the extent of how bad it is. And it's going to cut your life short. And you know what's around the corner. You're going to be meeting the Lord. And you're praying for a healing. I think a point for us as believers, you literally just have to say, God, I trust you with the end. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how you're going to do a miracle in this person's life and save them. And I don't know what's going to happen from this illness. But Lord, I believe. And we raise our hand and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm giving you my life. That is what biblical salvation is. And I think a lot of times what happens for us is we don't, we don't get that far. When we don't know the answer, when we're struggling, we just want to say, well, I believe in God. And Lord, I've always done things this way. And we, and we just fall back in our same patterns. If Abraham fell back in his same patterns after he went to the land of Canaan and he realized, oh, no, there's Canaanites. Other people live here. This is supposed to be my land. He would have packed his bags and went back to Ur Chaldeans. But he continually believed and followed the Lord. This is what God is looking for us to say. This is what God is saying to us and how we respond. He's saying to you, when you believe in God or believe God, he's saying, you're a new woman. You're a virgin. You no longer go around carrying your old destructive habits. You're not that woman anymore. Because why? You have believed God. And God has made you new. This is what it means when God credits Abraham as righteous. God is looking for us who believe Him. God is out there. He's saying, who in Lexington, who in Broadway Baptist Church believes me? Not believes in me, but believes me. I mean, where we say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to step out and I'm going to believe you. And that belief can be displayed in a lot of different ways. I was talking as simple as this is a true story. I was talking to somebody in our church. And they confessed to me. said, Daniel, I want to be a medic. This is several months ago. They had no prayer life. Their prayer life was whenever me or Chris or if you prayed a prayer or a blessing. That was their prayer life. I mean, that's a, really, they did not pray. They bowed their heads and prayed with others when the others prayed. They had no prayer life. 
They say, Dan, I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't have a prayer life. And this guy told me he's now spending 10 minutes a day in prayer of like himself. And his life is starting to change. He's starting to see God work. 10 minutes a day. He's giving that time to God. Church, that's what it means to believe God. And that's a tiny step, but that is a step. Say, Lord, I believe prayer changes. I believe giving and tithing changes. I believe reading the Bible and making a commitment to a local church that Jesus died for changes my life. That is what God is looking for. That is when he declares us as righteous. That's when we begin to start seeing change in our life. Do you believe God? We ask that question on the street. If I went up to somebody and said, do you believe God? They heard, do you believe in God? I didn't say, do you believe in God? Do you believe God? Meaning, are you going to take God's word and are you going to live it out and apply it? When God spoke to Abraham, Abraham believed him and he obeyed. Abraham did not understand that he was going to have be the father of a great nation. I want to tell you in conclusion what happened to Abraham. Abraham had one, he had one son of the promise with Sarah, Isaac. That was it. One son of the promise. And what happened is then from Isaac came Jacob. Then came 12 sons from Jacob. Fast forward 5,000 years, and you get to the New, or 2,000, a little over 2,000 years, get to the New Testament. Jesus came from the lineage of Abraham. Fast forward another 2,000 years to today. When you're saved, you were saved through the blood of Jesus. When you're saved, that's when God credits you or accounts you as righteous. In the Old Testament, have you ever wondered how do folks in the Old Testament get saved in the New Testament? New Testament, people get saved by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God credits them as righteous. And what happens here is all these stars of the sky offspring that we see in the scriptures that God is talking about. Church, that's us. Through the lineage of Jesus. Through the, through the lineage of Abraham. To Jesus, to our faith in Jesus, we are the product of this covenant. Our righteousness, God makes us righteous through the blood of Jesus. When you are saved, you walk this aisle and give your life to Jesus. What happened here in verse 6 is what occurs in our life. God saves us. We're going to have our invitation. If you've never been saved, I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you've never joined a church, you can come forward. If you want to come and pray, we close every service with an invitation to respond. It's your response to what God's doing. Abraham, you know how he responded? He believed God. Let's stand together. I'll be standing down front for you to respond to what God is doing in your life.
stand up here, maybe your mom and dad. Y'all can stand up here. This here is Miss Lila Riley. I've had the chance to talk to her for a couple of times the past couple of months. And this is her mom and dad, Matt and Tabitha Riley. Lila is coming forward, and she is letting everybody know that she has asked Jesus in her heart. She's given her life to Christ, and she wants to follow in believer's baptism. So she's making forward, and we're excited about that. Lila is seven years old, and she really understands the gospel. We've met multiple times talking about that. She's seven years old. She's going into second grade at Trinity Christian School. So uh, she reads her Bible every day, and she loves the Lord. And she is, uh, and even her parents said they, we, they left it up to her for when she's ready to respond. So we're ex- so excited for Lila coming forward and making it public. We're probably going to have baptism next month in August. So it'll be an exciting time for her. If you're excited for Lila Riley for coming forward and getting saved and, and uh, wanting to follow in believers' baptism, you join me in saying amen. Amen. So we're going to invite everyone to stand up. Chris, do you have a giving closing song, closing words? And then after that, after Chris is done, while the band's playing, we're going to always have a receiving line. So you come through, shake her hand, let her know how proud you are of her and, and for her following Christ. Absolutely. Lila, we are so proud of you, and we are just absolutely thrilled that uh, you've decided to follow Jesus with your life. Uh, if you're new with us again, we are so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we're glad that you're here and honored that you would spend some time with us. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to Ray Vasky behind me. Ray is our chairman of deacons. I'm going to ask Ray to close us in prayer, and then we will be dismissed. Don't forget to come by and uh, shake the hands of the, of the, uh, the Rileys up here and tell them uh, that you're proud of them and, and happy for them. Yes, sir. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. Thank you first off for Lila. Father, we just it was a blessing to have her at DPS a couple weeks ago, Lord, and we just praise you for the work you're doing in her and in her life. Praise you for Matt and Tabitha for giving her godly parents to raise her in your family. Father, I pray that you be with this congregation, this church, as we go out this week, Father. Just let us be a light to the community around us, Father. Father, we pray that you would fill each pew with people that you need to send to us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us here at this church. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.